Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. So hi everyone, I'm a little starstruck by today's guest because he's just blown up the trail running world by setting the fastest known time on the Bob Graham round. For those outside the ultra bubble, this involves running around 66 miles with 28,500 feet of ascent across 42 of the Lake District Fells inside a 24 hour period. It's one of the classic big three UK mountain challenges, along with the Paddy Buckley and the Ramsey rounds. And the record was previously held by the slightly otherworldly goat of the mountain running arena and recent UTMB course record holder, Killian Jeunet. Our guest today didn't just break the record, but did it by 30 minutes and in a pretty rock and roll style. And I have to admit that what initially grabbed my attention in the hours after um, their recent achievement were the images circulating social media of a slightly beaten up but still grinning guy swigging a pint of beer on the steps at the end of the Bob Graham round, wearing little bit of pair of pe- but a pair of shorts and some trainers that looked like they'd fallen out of a spaceship onto the mountainside. If ever you need a visual representation of joy, I recommend you look these images up. So with that in mind, and without further ado, I'll let them introduce themselves. Hey, uh, how's it going? Yeah, my, uh, hey. my name is Jack Kenzel. I'm a, uh, a mountain runner and uh, skier from originally from Connecticut, but uh, I've lived the last year primarily in uh, Northern California. And I, I typically race uh disaggregated efforts uh like fkts as opposed to normal races uh and i split the last year pretty evenly between racing on skis and on foot thanks for that jack and welcome and thank you again for taking the time so soon after your effort as well um to chat to me so You've kind of given a little bit of background there, and I'm quite interested in the fact that you you started off with um, ski mountaineering. And am I correct in thinking that like you um, were originally in the navy? Yeah, correct. I was I was in the navy until October of 2021. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when did you kind of move from the the sort of ski mountaineering into running? What made that transition, and what is it that you that you kind of love about running? <laughs> Um, so I was actually originally only a runner Okay. and then, uh, I, I kind of got into schemo. I mean, I've always, I've always been a ski and I've always enjoyed the snow and everything. And, uh, but I got into schemo just because I think it's the most effective way to train, uh, during the winter. And I think if I ran year round, I'd probably burn out a little bit. Um, every, you know, every 
April, I kind of like, well, I guess really just this year is the full first year I've like skied full time in the winter. And, uh, it did, it did take a second for me to kind of like make the transition from, from skiing over to running. And I found that, you know, skiing is like, is more fun in a lot of ways. Uh, and, but it's also, it's just, it's just, it's just a little bit different. Whereas running I find is more kind of meditative and you don't need as much equipment and you can kind of just relax and just kind of just go through, uh, that kind of, uh, I wouldn't say it's pure flow in my case, but yeah. I, I do kind of like the, the feeling of effort, the continuous effort that's there. Whereas skiing, I think a lot of times you're working for the, for the downhill and it's, it's a little bit more broken up and it's a little bit more of a, less of a fluid experience. Um, that's really interesting because yeah. that kind of suggests that it's both a kind of it's a mental and physical transition between the two that that kind of interruption of the flow state and things. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Yeah, I, I suppose I suppose that's right. I mean, uh, I find that yeah, when I, when I switch over to when I switch over to running at first, I'm like, to be completely honest, I'm like, oh, this is kind of this is kind of boring. <laughs> but then I kind of like I do I do kind of find it very kind of like meditative and uh it's just you know you just don't really need to think as much as when you're skiing and uh, yeah, sure. you just kind of go out and I, I guess it you know I've, I've never really found a lot of come you know I've never really experienced a lot of flow but I guess that's probably what it is um that I am kind of experiencing out running yeah I guess probably accurate so and was it kind of always on your agenda to sort of start chasing these um FKTs what was it about that particular experience of running that appealed to you um, so in the U S like the protections are, are the land protections are much greater than here, uh, in, in the UK. And so you would never have a race up and down like Mount Whitney, the, you know, the equivalent of like the Ben race or something. And so if you do want to race on like the technical, more steep mountainous terrain, you do kind of have to do it, uh, outside of a race mm-hmm. and the, do the, the technical steep mountain running that does exist is a lot of times will be like up and down ski resorts. And so I wasn't terribly interested in that. And so I think I've gotten to the point where I, I am starting to think about getting back into races. I did race them. I did do some ultras back in 2019 and now I'm kind of thinking about doing it again, but I will kind of miss the, you know, I, I do really like the, the FKTs because you can, it's just, it's just being out there a lot of times just by yourself and you just, you know, it's more about just a a relationship with the land. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, doing a race, you know, you're racing the other people on that day and there's a lot more, there's a lot, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot lot more people out there. Whereas, you know, a lot of times when I do an FKT, I'm I'm all just kind of like by myself and it's just a personal effort uh, kind of against the clock and, and, and with the land, uh, which I, which I do kind of like. Yeah. Is that kind of one of the things that you find like the most appealing about why you run do you think yeah yeah I'd I'd say so um you know a a lot of times I'll find that I'll get honestly just like the volume I do I'll get I'll get kind of burned out when running a lot of times and uh (laughs) whenever I get and then I'll get I'll get sometimes I'll get injured or yeah yeah well especially if you run faster (laughs) than Killian as well (laughs) I'll get I'll get I'll get injured and then I'll realize like how much I really do miss it and how much I do get out of it. Um, which is, which is very special. So, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I do just, I love just being able to travel like through the, through the mountains on foot. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I spent a lot of my life just like 
the main reason I wanted to get faster is because I just wanted to get to the point where I could kind of effortlessly just just run and just kind of enjoy the experience and not be kind of like weighed down by, uh, you know, <laughs> having like to deal with like a lot of like physical exertion and I could just kind of enjoy the moment. And so that was like a big motivator for me for training, honestly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And just, I mean, it gets you there quicker as well, doesn't it? So, you know, you want to, you want to go somewhere, explore somewhere, you can kind of point to it and, and run towards it, can't you? And as you say, sort of in a, in a pretty like unweighed, unweighed down fashion. I was actually also going to ask you um, later about your sort of like your thoughts on racing versus um, FKTs. Do you think there's also something appealing about the FKT in terms of that it makes it kind of more accessible to people? I mean, like racing can be super expensive too um i'm not saying that kind of training and like preparing for an fkt isn't also but like comparatively (laughs) um there's something quite alluring about just kind of being able to put your trainers on and go and attempt one of these things i guess yeah no certainly it's, it's more accessible because like the timing you know you can you can do it whenever you want you know you know there's no fees associated with it you know conceivably uh you know you could create a route that's very as long as it's meaningful to you you know you create a route that's anywhere so um yeah there there is a lot of different ways you can take it and I, I do think it's open to a lot more people yeah i'd say that's accurate for sure yeah yeah and i mean the bob isn't your only fkt this year even is it am i right in thinking that so you started kind of with a pretty impressive performance on the White Mountains a few months ago. Um, and I'm sort of quite interested how you've kind of chosen your attempts and, and the routes that you've that you've elected to go for. Um, and also kind of like what you've learned from sort of previous FKTs that you've then applied to, to the Bob most recently. Yeah, so when I kind of like approach... I think the first thing I look at is like, I try to figure out the training that I want to do. And then I use the, the training I want to do to kind of inform the races that oh, I want to do. Cool. If that makes sense. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm drawn, I'm drawn to like, you know, steep kind of like mountainous running and skiing. And so, uh, I like doing that in training. So I look for races where that style of training is, you know, fits in well. Um, and then, you know, I, 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 this year I divided my calendar pretty evenly between things that I felt were like competitive now and things that were kind of like future projects that like hopefully someday would become competitive or someday people would race these times. So, uh, on the competitive now side, that was like, uh, I raced like there's a 14,000 foot mountain in Northern California and I raced the ascent up that uh just like in track spikes on the snow so that's like a pretty competitive effort uh like mount hood in northern in in northern oregon i raced that round trip on skis that's pretty competitive Mm -hmm. uh the tranter in scotland is very competitive and then obviously the bob and on the other side on kind of like the more future projects there's a mountain right next to tahoe that's very prominent very popular backcountry skiing mountain Mm -hmm. as far as i'm aware no one had ever done a speed lap on it and so I did like a, a speed a speed lap on Mount Tulloch and uh, I did a speed lap on skis on Mount Shasta, which no one had ever really done as a race effort. And then, yeah, that 100-mile route in New Hampshire, that was also one where the – I mean, I, I knew I could, I could break the uh, existing record. I mean, only one person had ever finished it in a single push. Right. So I knew, I knew I would get it. It was just like I was racing it kind of 
in the hopes that it would eventually would become competitive, you know, uh, in the in the short or long term. Yeah. So is it, has anyone else got their sights on it that you know of at the moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually a guy attempting it in uh, a week or two. I just found out last night. Yeah. There's he... nothing, actually, there's two. There's a couple. There's there's two guys that could, could, uh, attempting it pretty soon. I know there's a. I believe there was a woman who attempted it not too long ago who uh, bailed on it about halfway. Um, it is a it is a pretty pretty brutal route. I didn't finish it the first time I tried to to do it. So, are those the kind of tricky. that's the kind of terrain that appeals to you? That that sort of challenge, either that be the kind of the terrain or the vertical ascent. Yeah, I mean, I just found, you know, I do enjoy training for the more mountainous stuff. And I think also I just like my body just like physically has like a natural propensity towards racing more of that mountainous stuff. I, I just like naturally carry a little bit more like muscle mass mm-hmm. in my legs and upper body. And I think that that serves a little bit better on the uh, steeper, more mountainous terrain. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, and you mentioned um, you mentioned the trend around because um, you you initially actually when you came to the UK you kind of made headlines with that in July was it that you that you did Tranta because you yeah, yeah. you took July. it off of Finley Wild only twenty four hours after he'd yeah. he'd set it and he beat himself which is very much kind of like what Damien Hall did to um, John Kelly who was another visiting American um, on the Pennine Way FKT but I think oh, Damien gave John fun. two yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think about it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Damien gave him two weeks, and you gave you gave, <laughs> you gave Finley twenty four hours. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. a that's a pretty impressive one as well, isn't it? I mean, that's thirty seven miles, but twenty twenty thousand is it feet of ascent on that? Yeah. Um. So like, how did you exactly like sixty k and six thousand meters of ascent? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's amazing, and you. I know that you've been kind of wrecking the route pretty intensively before that attempt, but what else yeah. did you do? <laughs> in terms of the kind of physical and practical preparation for something like that. And did you, did you change strategy based on what you saw Finley do very <laughs> shortly before <laughs> you set out? Yeah. Yeah. So, so coming from the U S you know, it's just the, the running here is different. You know, I, I did the biggest difference is just the, the off trail uh, kind of route finding, which, which does exist in the U S if you were to like, race in the alpine out west which i've never done running so i don't really have a lot of experience in that mm-hmm. but it still like isn't really the same as being able to run anywhere kind of on the grass like you can here so i had to get used to that kind of like that ability to just kind of constantly be like cutting corners and like trying to optimize your line i had to i like downloaded like a bunch of finley's files off of strava mm-hmm. and i just kind of went through like every kind of like um, you know, incarnation of like get uh, of route that he, he ever came up with and kind of experimented and try to figure out what was fastest. I mean, in the end, I just like basically ran the exact route he did with like a slight <laughs> deviation at, at one point. I, I wasn't used to, I was very concerned about running in like the grass and the bog and the heather. So it was funny, like I practiced this one section from Skir Eldemore over to Stoban. So it's like a far uh, Eastern end of the Tranter, you know, I practiced that a bunch of times. And the funny thing is, is like when I was practicing it, because it's all off trail and it's all very grassy. And I figured that's where Finley would have the biggest advantage. <laughs> when I practiced that, I realized that like, I probably got back there and practiced it and learned it way more than Finley ever did. Even though he lives nearby, it's like <laughs> so remote back there and such unpleasant running that there's like 
no reason for ever, him to ever do it. So I think that was the section I actually put the most time on Finley. And that was like the section I felt like was most foreign. So I like really focused on it. Um, <laughs> and it ended up working out. Is that the advice but, that you'd give to anyone visiting again? Do your, do your bog training? <laughs> yeah, do your bog training. <laughs> I was telling Finley that he should have, uh, you know, there's like Corbett's and Munro's and, uh, you know, Wainwright's. I said there should be wilds and those are like the giant bogs. You got to go around and, you know, cross all these like official bogs like all over the country <laughs> yeah uh, oh my goodness well, that that would be so be so good i did a ultra last uh <laughs> december where it was in norfolk along loads of beaches and like shale beaches and oh my goodness i was not i was not used to or prepared for, for that uh, shale at all and i can only imagine what what the bogs were like compared to yeah. mountainous terrain <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah, do you think but, um Sorry, you go. No, so Finley, Finley did it the night before, and so his previous time for 2020 was nine hours, and he ran at 8.52 the night before. And so I, I only found out, like, right before I was going to go to bed at about 11 p.m., <laughs> and so I had to quickly go through and kind of recalculate all of the splits between the different summits. And, um, yeah, it was a little bit disconcerting for me because I had run all of the nine-hour splits between the different summits, and I wasn't as confident with these new – 852 splits mm-hmm. but it ended up i mean there were some places you went faster there were some places you went a little bit slower than 2020 and uh, uh you know it ended up being fine I, I ran at 838 so it was 14 minutes under his uh new time mm-hmm. um, oh wow that's interesting oh never mind i was never mind no no go uh, for it yeah. what was that <laughs> well i guess i ran i ran i thought i ran i i i just got confused i thought i broke Killian's time by the exact amount of time I broke Finley's time by, but it's not, that's not right. It was, you know, the, the Finley, I broke Finley's time by 14 minutes. It was 22 minutes faster than the time I was planning on. And then, uh, Killian's time I broke by 28, 29. So uh, no, it wasn't the same. Okay. But, Go yeah. back and do it again. Get, <laughs> get those splits straight. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I'm guessing the Trenta uh, might not, like I did, I did read an article where you sort of described parts of the Trenta as being kind of mental trauma. So I'm guessing that might not be one, <laughs> one to revisit, but I mean, what, what challenges did, when you like were faced with those challenges that are often, you know, in, in these kinds of things, more psychological than physical, um, like how do you push through those moments? Yeah, what, what, how do I deal with those? Um, yeah, when things get rough. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was tricky. I, I mean, on the tranter, I did something I'd never done before. I did bring I did bring some music on a small like Spotify MP3 player, mm-hmm. and that that did really help. Uh, but it's challenging. At first, I was like looking at all of his splits, and I was like racing his splits, but between the different peaks. But it was so close that it was kind of driving me crazy. And so eventually, <laughs> I got to the point where I was like, I just can't look at the splits anymore. I'm just gonna like run. I, I'm gonna run as fast as I can for the rest of this thing. I mean it really doesn't make a difference what the splits were because I wasn't going to change my own pace. I was just going to run it as well as I could. And, uh, yeah. So no, it was, it was really, it was really challenging. I mean, what do I do in those moments? I, I don't, I don't know. It just, it, it always, it's just crazy because like it seems almost interminable, like while mm-hmm. you're doing it. And then all of a sudden it's just like over. Uh, but 
I think the only thing you, <laughs> there's really there's really nothing. I mean, the hardest thing for me is always before before I race, just because I'm like always stressing out and have trouble I'm trouble sleeping and everything. And uh, I always wonder like why you know why the hell am I doing this? <laughs> It'd be much better just to like train and never race. But uh, I I do kind of enjoy that the racing and it does give a lot of purpose to the training. So um, yeah. Yeah, so it's it, there's no kind of specific sort of thing that you that you say to yourself. It's just kind of a, a grit your teeth and get on with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, that's it, it is it is rather poor of me that I don't have like some sort of mantra or something. I, I don't even know. I think it's it is weird. Uh, I think I've kind of you know just recognized the fact that like everybody deals with this pain and it like just happens in the same way and like the only way I can try to be faster than Finley is just to push myself a little bit further than, than he could. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I just focus on, you know, I try to break it up as much as I can. And I try to just focus on making it from each peak to the other. And I like to think that I always, I always like to break up the time remaining. I always like to run the course a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And so that way I can just kind of like, I know that I've run certain sections and so I just need to pick picture like piecing together like two practice runs I've done or, you know, to, to finish it or, uh, that, that was really, I remember a big thing with the transfer is like, I would get to, I would get, I remember getting to places where I was like, okay, I've run from here all the way to, you know, Conmore Derrick and I've run from Conmore Derrick, no problem up and over to Ben Nevis. And then like all of a sudden you get a little bit further, you're like, okay, I've run from here to the finish like many times. Uh, over all these peaks even if it's the last like three hours and then you know you're just kind of I just kind of focus on getting to the next peak and then uh, you know getting that break on the downhill and then getting to the next peak and then getting the break on the downhill but I don't really think yeah I wish I wish I think it is I think it's a little it might be some sort of weakness that I don't have any strategy but honestly it's never it hasn't really been a problem for me I think it just I think you just have to accept the fact that it is, it is really hard and that everybody feels that pain and you just gotta, you just gotta get through it. If you really, if you do really want to set a fast time, so you just gotta kind of bear it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think it's a weakness at all. I mean, it's interesting what you say there as well. I know that sort of people like Courtney DeWalter and stuff, you know, that she talks a lot about kind of sort of actively seeking that, that pain as well, that, that kind of idea of, well, you've sort of earned it because you know that you're pushing hard and you know that you've got your body and your mind to the point where you're able to do that. Does that kind of resonate with you at all? Um, I mean, some, sometimes it's, it is, it is kind of, I wouldn't say enjoyable is the right word, but it's kind of <laughs> nice because like I, you spend the whole time in training. Like I spend a lot of time in training, like wondering just a little bit, like, okay, am I doing this too hard? Am I doing this too hard? Should I go a little bit easier right now? Like when I'm in training, like, uh, or, you know, you're always kind of like wondering about your level of effort and like making sure your level of effort is appropriate. Yeah. And then it is nice to kind of get to a race and it's like, okay, I just need to like, you know, I just need to, once you, I find I like write like very specific splits for the first like two hours, mm-hmm. like every 10 minutes or so. Um, so that way I know exactly, I get exactly into the groove. And then once you get like two hours in, you know, once you get to the first like quarter way through the effort and then it's like, I I've done these things enough time where I kind of know like the level of intensity I can maintain for the rest of the time. And then it's just like, you just, you just get to go and, 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 uh, you know, you just get to go hard and like, you don't really have to like limit yourself, uh, which is, which is nice. 
but I think I think one thing that probably helps a lot with that is just is just training a lot of volume and doing a lot of uh, doing some speed work. And if you do like really hard speed work and you run a lot of volume, then you get you get some of that difficult stimulus while in training. Yeah, I think I mean, another thing is is like you know during during the bob, I was telling myself, okay, I'm not racing anything else for the year, so I just need to eat it for the next you know, 12 hours and then I'll be done for the rest of the year. Uh, and that was a big thing. You know, actually when you, when you do break it down, you know, the year is a lot of hours and, you know, when it comes down to racing, I mean, how many, how much have I raced this year? Less than 48 hours, which actually seems like quite a bit, but most of that is 26 hours in New Hampshire. Uh, and the rest of it is, is shorter efforts. So yeah, I wish, I wish I did have a, a better strategy, but, um, no, I yeah. think that kind of like, yeah, that sort of racing environment and it's okay, the reins are off, let's go. <laughs> like, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. I, I, I think that's, uh, that. yeah, that's something that I think everyone can relate to, that that kind of exhilaration that you can get. And, and you know at the end of it, if you're like, yeah, no more racing for the year, you know that you that you pushed it. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can kind of enjoy that as well. Um, yeah. I was also like really moved at the end of your uh, of the Trantef, Katie. Before we just move on to the Bob, that like Finley came to greet you with a beer at the end, um, and I think that's yeah. like it does really epitomise that kind of camaraderie of the trail running community. It's like, yeah, you just hit my record, thanks, mate. But like, I'm here to celebrate with yeah, you. Yeah. Um, and I also yeah. saw, you know, on the steps that like Billy Bland, who's a previous Bob Graham record holder, was there at the end of that attempt. And is there something about that kind of altruism and sort of humility also that comes with trail running that kind of attracts you to it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so. I mean, I think it's because especially with the, with the FKTs, especially it might be a thing because like it really is a battle with the environment. Um, and you know, I I think it's really when it comes down to it is, I don't, I don't, I don't think you're, you're not conquering the environment, but like, you know, you're kind of like, I guess it is, it is a, it is a struggle and it is like a hardship in relation to like the land and like the environment. And I think as like people, you can see some commonality and even if it is someone breaking your record, like I don't really think of it as me like fighting against like Finley on this. It's not like a boxing match or something. It's like, it's like I'm, I'm pushing against gravity is what we're both fighting against. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so that's where my animosity is, is targeted towards. (laughs) I talked to my, Cause my mom, my mom did ask about this and, um, I told her like in an ideal world, like the worst thing that can happen is you set a time and nobody ever attempts the route ever again. And the best thing that can happen is, you know, 10,000 of the best runners in the world come and nobody breaks your record. And the, in the middle is like somebody comes and has a great day and, and your, and beats your time. And that's, that's certainly that's certainly preferable to me. Like, yeah, you would, you would like to see a record stand, but it's like, it's certainly preferable to have someone come and beat it. than like nobody try at all. Um, and it is, I would say it is, it is fun to, you know, see things improve and to help other people improve and to kind of like share your own, your own kind of like lessons learned on the route. So that way you can kind of like push the competition along and, you know, kind of like maximize human potential on it and see how fast like people can really can go. 
because everybody kind of like walks away from every single event with like their own your own things that you learn so yeah yeah that's really interesting it's kind of like um like the equivalent that I'm sort of thinking of is is both like the times that we're now seeing um in a racing environment you know that like with the UTMB record falling um this this summer but also with kind of like last one standing events and like sort of the backyard ones where you're only as strong as like the people that are also pushing you along too um yeah and I guess it's that yeah. kind of equivalent in a way yeah no it, it is and I, it is an enormous advantage having a having a record to chase you know that was a big advantage that I had over Killian was that uh I did I did know exactly uh how I, I, you know, could chase his mark and could push myself a little deeper. Uh, this is certainly something we see in the U.S. in the Northeast, where a lot of the, some of the most, I would say, intense competition, probably the most intense competition on FKTs in the entire world, is in the Northeast U.S. in the Adirondacks and in New Hampshire. And you can see these routes have just been broken, you know, a dozen times by just a couple minutes each, and sometimes the same people breaking them over and over again, like back and forth. And every time someone breaks it, you know, you just get, there's a certain point where you can't go any faster, obviously, but having faster splits to chase really does make a big difference. Uh, there's one route in particular, the Great Range Traverse in New York, in upstate New York, which is about 20 miles and 10,000 feet of climbing. And it's like extremely technical. And uh, the guy who has it now, he has broken it and gotten his record beaten like five or six times in a row. And like Very. most recently, he, he beat me. This was last summer. Like I set the record and I figured there was no way he could beat my time because it was so much faster than his old time. And then he went and beat it by three minutes. <laughs> so, uh, a, little, a little ridiculous. I'm not really sure. I don't really sure why there's because he, he's cut his time by down by like an hour. I'm not really sure why <laughs> he like just didn't run this fast on the first go. But um, or not quite, you know. I'm not sure why he didn't run at least closer to this time on the first go, but yeah, he's slowly been whittling his time down for years, um, <laughs> which is pretty funny. So. I, I guess it's maybe part of that. Again, what you were saying about kind of the difference between training and racing, like FKTs are a slightly sort of gray area, I guess, where you're kind of by yourself doing it. So unless you see that there is that competition of someone who's going to go out and like annihilate it, <laughs> you're not really going to like yeah. hang on to the edge kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, certainly when I knew he was coming back and so the whole time I was running it, I was, I wasn't, you know, trying to beat his old time because, you know, it became very clear to me from the start that I was going to beat it the whole time I was racing against him coming back. Just like yesterday with the Bob, you know, I was or Friday with the Bob, I was racing against Finley and, you know, I don't know, John Alban and Killian and anybody else who may came back because I, I realized fairly quickly that I was going to break the time. And I just realized I needed to I need to put as much time as possible down so that way I made it extremely difficult for the next person who came. Yeah, so it's not it's not a soft a soft record. So you've got to <laughs> they've got to come back and fight for yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you? Um, I don't. Sorry. Well, I was talking to Billy about it because I don't I don't envy whoever comes for it next because uh, you know the record that I broke there was a lot of slack in there. Uh, because Killian had stopped many times. Or Killian had stopped sometimes. You know, he had stopped in the rest stations a fair bit. I knew as long as I just ran even slightly slower than him, but I just didn't stop at all, mm. that I would break his time. And uh, 
now there is no, I didn't stop a single time. So there's no, there's no stoppage. And the other part that's going to be challenging is I, uh, I ran the last leg, you know, eight or nine minutes faster than Killian did. So it's, I, I always knew that even if I was behind, that there was a chance that I could just get to the end and just beat him on the last leg. Cause I knew Finley had run much faster than him on the last leg. So I knew it was at least possible to do that. And now it's, uh, I'm not saying it's, it's impossible. Like somebody will definitely do it. It's just, I, I would, if I was racing my own time, I would not go into it. Uh, I wasn't confident going into it on Friday mm-hmm. and I would definitely not be confident going into it now. <laughs> Cause there's just, there's just, there's just very, very little room now. Uh, you just have to like run faster than me. There really isn't, there isn't a lot of like errors out there. There's like maybe a minute and a half of errors, you know, uh, just like one, Coming down Blancathra, kind of a bad line down Blancathra, and then uh, a shoe change that probably went about a minute longer than it should. That that's kind of it. But I mean, like, don't I just don't do yourself down because, like, also you were running this. I mean, pretty soon after after Tranta as well. Um, I mean, was was that were you going to wait longer um, to do the bob? I mean, what what made the decision to to do it when you did? Yeah, so originally I was going to wait a little bit longer, but uh, this this weather window kind of appeared, and yeah. I became very concerned as to the forecast for the rest of the month. And so I knew I, I had to kind of take advantage of it, or else, you know, I may not I may not uh, have another chance. And I'm, I'm happy I did it uh, because it looks like it might rain a fair bit the rest of the month. But yeah, it was it was closer to the transfer than I wanted. And then it was also, I had a really heavy uh, week of running last week. It was heavier than I'd want to be so close mm-hmm. to racing. And then the other issue is like, I one of the biggest takeaways from the transfer was that I needed to do a lot of heat training before I raced again. And I was only able to do, you know, uh, a handful of sessions in the sauna mm-hmm. uh, before this, which really wasn't enough. Like I, I, I would have... I would have, I would have honestly, I would have gone faster if I was able to do more heat training going into this, I think. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you can't, the thing is with something like the Bob is you really do have to pick your battles and, you know, like the other thing is, is like, I probably could have gone a little bit faster if I had like a larger pacing team, you know, if I just had more people supporting me, but you, my, my day I'd say was, was pretty good for me i would have i think i think the conditions that Killian had were better for him mm-hmm. because uh he is smaller and he's probably better heat trained than me so he could deal with the heat a little bit better whereas i'm like very i'm larger than he is and i'm, I'm very bad in the heat so i need to be as as kind of cool as possible but he had like very dry conditions also mm-hmm. so everybody you know if i had gone on the weekend maybe i would have been able to get more pacers hypothetically i could have had a drier day hypothetically i could have had a cooler day i could have a day further from the transfer i could have a day where i had a better taper from last week but i also much more likely is i could have had a much worse day in a million different ways and so i'm pretty i'm pretty happy with the, the conditions i had and you know you should, i think you got to recognize that it's it's a compromise and or it's a you know making the best of running on a route that's in the wettest place in the entirety of a country <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so I'll take it. 
welcome yeah. welcome yeah. to the uk jack yeah, yeah. <laughs> welcome. Yeah. i mean like but, you said it is a it's a it's a battle with the environment as well and i know you, you i mean you ran the trenta unsupported and you were talking about how that was kind of down to you to really rigorously analyze the different lines that you can take and what finley had done before um and the bob kind of comparatively is sort of looked more like a team effort with your sort of host of paces that you had. Um, so how did like your preparation kind of differ and how did you go about picking that team for it and, and the paces that you did have? Yeah. So I, uh, when I first came down, I mean, part of the reason that I raced the transfer was I was, I was trying to get something on like UK soil that uh, I could use to kind of like convince people that I was remotely capable of touching the bomb time <laughs> and so Finley helped me out by like putting me on this podcast and like giving me a platform to like you know announce that I was going to do this and like try to start recruiting people mm-hmm. and I met with Martin Stone and he kind of like sat down with me and we went through Finley's crew and Killian's crew and we like determined who was still running and we like looked at recent race results for like other people and we came up with a list of probably about 20 people and uh, I just kind of like DM'd them all on Instagram. I also talked to like Victoria Miller, who's at Innovate. And because I, I'm not sponsored by Innovate, but because I was going to run in those shoes, I think she found out about it. And she she did help me out a lot. I mean, I think she would have helped me out regardless. Yeah. But uh, she, she helped me uh, contact all these people. And so in the end, I probably attempted to contact or talk to about 50 people. And I got about 30 to who were interested and able to pace me mm-hmm. uh, some point between September 10th and October 10th. And in the end, you know, this window appeared and I thought I had way too many people on my list, but when the window appeared and it became clear, I'd have to run on a weekday, you know, I texted everybody on the list. And I think off of that list, maybe three people were available. And oh, wow. that was like <laughs> Monday of last week. And so I was kind of freaking out and like, I went to like the Keswick show, like uh, fell race, and I was like talking to Kat Evans, and uh, we were brainstorming different people, and we kind of like, you know, through Instagram and through uh, just talking to people in Keswick and talking to people over at Eden, you know, I was able to get a full pacing team. I mean, I think if I were to add people to anything, I would have, it would have been easy to get more people who were interested in helping, but like not necessarily could keep up with the pace mm. who could have like just hiked water and food back and just like met us on the course. And like more people doing that would have, would have helped. Um, because as it was like, we did, we did run out of water a couple of times uh, and it, it could have been, it could have been fairly nasty, but it ended up being uh, largely a non-issue. So I mean, you yeah. also dropped some of your paces, didn't you, with the pace that you were setting? Yeah, I mean, they do, you know, you have a couple of things going on. You know, fortunately, I don't have to carry anything. Yeah. And so these people are not only carrying their own food and water, but they're carrying my food and water. And then they're also carrying, like, they have, like, my phone and, like, I give them, like, my, my earbuds and they've got a extra tracker and, you know, all these, like, salt tablets, caffeine tablets. So they do have quite a bit of stuff that they are, they are carrying, but, but yeah, I did the first leg. I, I dropped like, you know, three out of my four pacers. The second leg, I think 
we could have had a situation where where pacers got dropped but we just we just got really serious about only taking uh one person to each summit and having everybody else skip uh a summit so uh I would only have one person there, so we didn't have anybody like going to summits unnecessarily. We only had to do that honestly for a couple, and then everybody was everybody was basically able to hold on for the rest of most of the rest of the leg. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's tricky. I mean, after that though, uh, it was fine. Um, but yeah, it's just you know the pace is is hot, and you know these folks are like you know, they've got their own like lives and training schedules and races and like, they aren't papered for this and they aren't, you know, a lot of times like treating this like a true race, like I am. So, uh, we're, we're approaching it from different places. So, um, it, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it makes a lot of sense that, that people do get dropped, you know, for all those reasons. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's totally understandable. I mean, also, yeah. so, Having um, Killian splits available to you before, did that kind of work in the same way in terms of focusing your mind on that with having kind of smaller goals? Um, or did you did you kind of ignore them when you were running or, or were you working to them so that you had kind of like these targets within the kind of overarching finishing time goal? Yeah, so... Um... What, what kind of happened was like the same thing as the tranter. It was like initially I was kind of looking at him. And then once I kind of established that I was ahead and like, I kind of like got an understanding for the pace and the level of exertion. I just like told my crew, like, Hey, I don't want to hear about the splits anymore because it's just going to drive me crazy. Like, Oh, we're like, we like gained a minute here. Oh, we like lost two minutes here. Oh, we gained two minutes here. It's just like, you know, I just don't need to hear that. And, uh, I mean that that I'm lucky because I think even if it was really tight, I think I would I think I would have taken the same mindset because it just would have driven me crazy knowing exactly how tight it was, and so yeah. So basically, what happened was is I did the first leg eight minutes slower than him, and the plan was just to go do the eight leg, first leg eight minutes slower, and then basically go exactly at his splits for the rest of the thing, but just like not don't stop where he stopped. So he like sat down for eight minutes at Grey Knots. Mm-hmm. He stopped at Wasdale for three minutes. He stopped at Honister for three minutes. Uh, he stopped at Dunmail for one minute. And so uh, even with an eight-minute deficit, I would still cut like that six, seven, eight minutes off the record just by like not stopping where he did because he had like 16 minutes of stoppage out there. Um, so of the 29 minutes or whatever, I shaved off the record. 16 of that was stoppage and 13 of that was just running faster. Um, so yeah. So, you know, the first leg we did, we were paying attention a lot to the splits in the first leg. because we were really trying to get the effort dialed properly because mm-hmm. we wanted to get a good feel for it. The second leg. Yeah. We, I, I was a minute 40 slower than Killian from Threlkeld to Clophead. And, uh, I just kind of freaked out. What was interesting that Billy Bland only pointed, Billy Bland pointed out to me today which is, which is, I, I do think it's very interesting is Killian beat me by, uh, at least two minutes on every single climb out of an aid station. Oh, and interesting. Yeah, he did. He did stop at some of the aid stations. So that did allow him to recover. And then he ran out of it. That was probably a large factor, but I mean, it was, it was a big, it was like all the, I think all of the super large climbs he beat me on, which is, which is, I, I don't know, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, I do consider myself a good ascender, and so it is kind of making me wonder a little bit, but 
I don't think I'm that much of a dis- better descender than Killian. Like, was I just beating him on all the descents? I mean, that seems a little crazy. But, I don't know, um, though, because that's what sort of happened in Chamonix looking at it, though, that Killian was kind of gaining on the ascents and, and then losing some ground on the descents. So could be a bit of a pattern. Fascinating. Yeah, because he is, he is such a... This is something, like, I've speculated about a lot because it's, like, what advantages do I have like as a larger athlete, both as like having larger, you know, volume of muscle mass and being taller. Mm. And I've always theorized it must be the descents because the descents, you know, the more muscle that you, the stronger you are, the better you can kind of like attenuate those forces of like running downhill. And then also like the less steps you need to take running downhill, like especially on really technical terrain, you have a huge stride. And like, if in any like, you know, on a really technical area, if, if in any like 10 foot stretch, there are like, you know, 60 possible foot placements, mm-hmm. you know, if you're Killian's height, you know, maybe you need to find, uh, you know, 20 or 15 of those possible or, you know, not, not that many. Maybe you need to find like six of those possible foot placements, whereas I only need to find four of those possible foot placements or five. And it's like not a huge difference, but over the course of like a bunch of descents, it's like, okay, like I just don't need to spend as much time thinking about like where to place my foot and I can just kind of run a little bit faster down. So that is, that is very interesting that it does kind of seem that I'm, I beat him on the, on the probably, probably beat him on the descents, but he, and then that is also, yeah, I beat him from Scottsdale to Wasdale. I was four minutes faster than him. So it is, it is probably a descending thing. Yeah, and, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, so, and then, so, Strelkel de Clomphead, we split that a minute and 40 seconds slower than Killian, and then I just kind of freaked out, and we sent two of my pacers on. One of my pacers that had already left from the parking lot much earlier than us and met us on top of Clomphead, so he was super fresh, and I was like, hey, it was Steve, have a flight, and I was like, hey, Steve, like, we're just gonna, <laughs> I don't care, like, what it takes, like, we are beating Killian to the top of Great Dodd. And um, we just kind of took off and I didn't think it was that hard. I didn't think we were going that hard. Like I knew the pace was fast, but, and then we beat him by three minutes. Like we shut three minutes off that split. It's like a, it's maybe like a 13 minute split or something. It's like not very long to cut three minutes off. And uh, so then we got to the top of Great Dodd and that was like the first time I was like, wow, okay. Like, you know, Killian is like certainly built up a lot in media. And like, I've like, you know, i do still do and have looked up to him my entire life and like mm. i've always wondered like you know you're like doing the math like and like looking comparing gaps and it's like how do i convert like you know zagama uh the zagama splits to like running in virginia uh, <laughs> and it's like it's like i've always wondered you know how fast is killian compared to me and it's like standing on the summit of great dodd was the first time i was like okay he's like he is like mortal <laughs> And, uh, he, you know, he can be, he can be beat. And, uh, yeah. So between after great Dodd, like we, I didn't want to hear them. We didn't even have the next couple of splits because like those pacers that had the split card, like they just like kept going. <laughs> there was a little bit of a miscommunication and they like, <laughs> they skipped, they skipped the next summit and they met us, they skipped two summits instead of just one. And so they met us later on and like, uh, I think the pacer that went to the summit of, I think it's Dybaro Dodd. Uh, he didn't even have a split card with him also either. It was the other guy who had it. So I only caught up to that guy like on the summit of Rays. <laughs> and uh, we get to the summit of Rays and he's like, hey, you're like, you know, you're like five minutes ahead of your splits. Like you're only like two minutes behind Killian. And I was like, oh my God, like we are, 
we are like, you know, destroying his pace from like Great Don to Rays. And then, you know, from there all the way to Wasdale, like I didn't, I only heard splits maybe once or twice. And, you know, it was just, it was clear that I was running faster than him. And so I just like didn't, didn't worry about it so much. Uh, was that the kind of let loose moment? Because I know you said kind of going into it, you thought, no, that, you know, this isn't going to be a go in terms of, of beating Killian's time. But was it at that moment that you were had the kind of like, there are no gods, kind of like, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah. It was, it was, I think it was really like Great Dodd was like, okay, maybe this is possible. Like this is looking good. And then Ray's, once I got to the summit of Ray's and I realized like we had pulled the pace back since Great Dodd. And I was still like gaining on him. I was like, okay, like this is, this is going to happen. Like, I, I think on the summit of Rays is when I knew, like, assuming I didn't fall, like I should get the record. Like I, I would have bet at that point, like I'm definitely going to get it, but like, I just can't fall, which is like certainly a big factor. And obviously like I can't blow up on like four, but I knew that I could get through like four without, without blowing up. And if I did, it, it may be, it would, it would be as bad as him, but I'd be able to recover time probably on either, on either side of it, hopefully. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I was pretty confident. Yeah. Once we got to the summit of grade. Yeah. Yeah. So that like two, it's funny because that like two crew, like, like leg one, which just like, you know, terror, like running in fear, <laughs> but it was also like, you know, we really didn't know what was happening. You know, we were sticking to the paces. Like two was just like a roller coaster, just from like, you know, the height of terror, you know, when I got to the top of Clawpad and was like, you know, in despair to like, you know, like the most like, you know, it felt like a, you know, like a revolution or something. We just like, you know, <laughs> we just like stormed like, you know, the Royal Palace or something. That's what it was like towards the end of it. It was just like, wow, this is like crazy. Um, I think there's like, there's an epic movie in this somewhere. Like it, it sounds like a roller coaster of like the hero's journey going on throughout this thing. Oh no, yeah, it seriously was. And like, those, it's funniest because like, those like two folks, you know, they, yeah, they did kind of like experience it all. Like, whereas, like, everybody else was kind of, like, it was, like, leg three was just, like, leg three was, like, honestly, like, there was a low point at the beginning of leg three in the bogs, but, like, for the most part, it was just, like, I was just gaining on him consistently, and it was, like, okay, like, I'm doing well, but it was, like, you know, it wasn't, there was no, like, roller coaster, really, to it, like, leg one, like, leg two was, it was just, like, and then leg four was just, like, it was, it was like four was a roller coaster, but I didn't even realize it. Like it was at the beginning of like four, Killian gained on me nine minutes. Uh, he beat me by like four or five minutes up U-Barrow and then by four minutes up Red Pipe. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and then at the end, you know, he sat down for eight minutes and I beat him on a couple of the other splits too. So uh, I think I ended up doing like four slightly faster than him. But at the beginning, you know, he, he took nine minutes, he gained nine minutes on me in the first uh first half and then I you know took a, you know all of that back and I think it more on the second half so like four was a was a wild roller coaster too but it, I didn't perceive that or know that because like I wasn't asking to hear the splits at that point I think my crew probably saw it yeah but, uh, I, I had no clue were you just so, like totally in the zone at that point and just running <laughs> no 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 I, I I was I was just pushing as hard as I could yeah and, uh it was, it was horrible. It was really, it was by far the worst part of it was the beginning of like four. And I just, I was doing as much as I could. And I just, I just didn't want to know because like, if he was going faster than me, there was nothing I could do about it. Yeah. And if he was going slower than me, I wasn't going to slow down. Um, so. 
I mean, I know that you must like you must have been pushing incredibly hard for for most of that effort. I mean, most of your, but also, I mean, looking at lots of your Instagram photos of like different um, different things that you've done. I mean, there's just always this kind of expression of absolute glee on your face, and <laughs> kind of like what you're doing. Um, and what kind of what were the highlights for you from the Bob Graham? I mean, obviously there was some uh, really, really shit bits as well. Yeah, but. so, 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 I mean, I, I'm just going to say there were, there were no, you know, I like to say that these things are like, it's like a ball, like rolling down a hill, like, but instead of like potential and kinetic energy, it's like fear and then like physical pain. Mm. <laughs> so like the ball starts at the top and it's like all potential energy. And at the bottom, it's like all like kinetic energy. And like, in this case, it's all like fear at the beginning and at the very end it's just like all like physical pain like there's no fear left but uh so it's it's hard to say if there were any you know i think i think when we were yes like two was like a lot of i think there actually were some moments of like actual you know you're still like you know it's a long road but like there were some moments of like wow like we're gonna like this is gonna happen uh which was like pretty exciting and then um yeah, what were some other kind of like? I'm trying to even think. <laughs> uh, there was uh, like three, like three, like wasn't really. I wouldn't say it was like fun, but like I just put in some earbuds and I was just, you know, we were just like cruising. Like I just was sandwiched between like Sam Steed and Matt Atkinson, and like Matt was like navigating like really well, and I was just like running behind Matt and just like looking at his shoes, and like I didn't like. I didn't look up and like really like think I didn't like engage my like brain at all. Like all the way from like Sergeant man, like all the way to broad stand. Like it was just, it was just running behind Matt and just like looking at his feet. Like it wasn't like there was no like zero brain activity. And it was like, perfect. Like I was just on a treadmill. Um, like we, we go up for a while and then I like realized we're at the summit and then like, you know, Matt would like point me to the summit. Like, I mean, I knew where they were and then, you know, I tag it and then we just like, you know, go down and it was just like, it was just perfect. And, um, like for, uh, I would say that was a, that was a very big moment when I, when I passed gray knots and I like, didn't have to sit down, you know, Killian sat down there for eight minutes mm-hmm. and, uh, there's a video of me getting to some of gray knots and I'm like, I'm like, someone find me a nice, you know, someone find me a nice cozy spot to sit down. Killian's kept it warm for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. And then, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and then running into town, I wouldn't say it was fun because, like, you know, when you finish the tranter, you know, you run down the bend and, you know, you're just you're just balancing, like, how well you can run downhill with, like, you know, your fear of, like, tripping and falling or sliding and falling. And there's really not a lot of time to, like, physically empty yourself. But, like, when you finish with five miles of, like, generally flat running on the road, like, you can just absolutely annihilate yourself. Like, that is, like the worst possible way I can imagine to like finish a race like this, like road five miles of road running. Like you, you've got to be kidding me. How is that? How is that the ending to this thing? Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was really just very hard towards the end. I mean, the road went by really quickly. Like, I don't remember just like, you know, I think if someone described that to me, like, Hey, you're going to run like, a trail like mountainous 100k and it's going to finish with a road flat five mile like oh my god like that's going to be so painful and like 
it honestly went by really quickly, but it was like, it was like, uh, you know, yeah, it hurt. Um, and then getting back into town, I mean, it was just, uh, you know, it was incredible. It was like very emotional, but it was like, you know, it was just so hard. Uh, <laughs> oh, it looked like an amazing uh, atmosphere at the end of it. I mean, that must have been such a like such an exhilaration at, at the end at the end of the road. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, honestly, I just like didn't really have anything left, you know, to yeah. really to process it. You know, I think my my eyes were open, but like you know, nothing was really going on in, inside, and uh, it was just. You know, I remember the biggest thing is is once I finished, I was like, okay, like. I got to make sure that I like recognize the support crew and the pacers. And I was like, my brain was just so like addled and weakened that like, I didn't even know like what to do. Like, I'm like, do I, you know, it was something I never really thought of. Like I never like gave myself permission to think like, Oh, you know, once I, once I set the Bob Graham record, like what, what's my speech going to be from the steps of Boot Hall? It's like, you know, forget it. It's like, I had no, I had never thought about that. And I'm, I'm really happy that we like the way we ended up doing it, where we brought the pacers all up onto the and all the support crew up onto the steps and like took some photos. Like it was it was perfect. Yeah. And uh, but it was like in the moment, it was like oh my god, I was like, what the hell do we do now? It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, like you know a crowd of like you know I don't know what a couple hundred people here and like you know all these people who have like taken the day off of work and like you know driven from across the country to like come and support me and like you know what do am I you know supposed to like give a speech or something like I have no clue right now um but yeah they end up working out fine so yeah I guess like the I I mean also like what do you mean you weren't preparing your speech when there was like blood pouring out your ears trying to break Killian's record what's that about (laughs) but I guess there's kind of you're so sort of overwhelmed by the amount that people have done and you have so much gratitude that it's like where where do I start with that I think that's that's entirely understandable (laughs) yeah exactly exactly yeah 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 what are kind of your thoughts in terms of like kind of burning bright for a short time versus having longevity in this I'm quite interested in that well uh it is it is something interesting because I know I know Jim Walmsley the U.S. ultra runner like always we talk about how like you know he's here just for like a short time and um you know, he's not really here for longevity. And now he's like, I know he's like changed his tune. And he's like, Oh, I want to be doing this, like, you know, the rest of my life or something. And I, I think like, maybe I fall into that category a little bit. But um, I mean, no, at the at the end of the day, like, uh, I think the most the most effective way to like, race well, even for a couple of years is probably a strategy that also works well for longevity, like, uh, even I think if I wanted to do best on the Bob and to race for longevity, then I should be taking half the year off from racing. I should be like varying it between skiing and running. I shouldn't be racing too much, even when I am racing. And I think those are the strategies both to like maximize your performance in a single season. And I think those are the strategies to like maximize your performance over the, you know, over a longer career. Um, but for me, like, I think I would rather have a short, successful career than like a long, like mediocre one, like a hundred percent. Um, but, uh, yeah, I kind of, I almost feel like, you know, I did, I think prior to the Bob, like I did feel a lot of need to like, probably prove myself a little bit. Like I knew, 
to be honest, like I knew internally, like that I knew internally that I was probably almost as fast as Killian is probably what I knew in like in, in my heart is what I kind of felt, but I felt the need to like, you know, confirm that externally. And it's like, it's like no like lesson in like psychology or like self-worth or anything, because like the only way I like settled that within myself is basically by proving it externally. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't like, it's not like a journey of like self-acceptance or something. Like it was, it was the, like probably the worst way to like, not the worst (laughs) way, but it is, it is the most time consuming way to like deal with that insecurity. It's just like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to like, you know, Hey, you know, I want to prove that I'm also as fast as Killian. Like, okay, like, let me like train for like a couple thousand hours for a couple of years. <laughs> um, I mean, that's like, obviously not the, I'm being a little bit facetious, but, uh, yeah. So I think my, all that to say, I think in the future, like I'm just thinking about what I want to do for next season and mm-hmm. I'm like comfortable taking on like more passion projects than I think I was in the past because I don't, I don't feel like as much pressure to like, honestly, to like be competitive as like, as you know, currently like modernly competitive, like against other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I can kind of like do these other things that I'm like personally passionate about and race them like just as hard. But uh, it's just like a little bit different, I think. Um, yeah. So my ne- my next question was kind of going to be on on what you what's up next for you and what direction you're going to be going in. Yeah, so I, I mean, I was just I was thinking about it a lot today because I, I, you know, when I look at when I look at like footage of UTMB, like I'm not terribly like inspired, um, and just like the way people kind of describe it to me is like seems like a little like ridiculous, and uh, just like the crowds and like you know mm-hmm. helicopters and like you know all this other stuff and it's like, Oh God, like, I don't even, I don't know if I really want to do that. And then also like the other thing is it's like, not, it's not the style of racing that I traditionally engage in. Like it's not very technical. I mean, at the same time, like the part I enjoyed the most of the Bob with the section that's the least technical is like, like two is like my favorite part. So it's like, maybe (laughs) I should, I should take the cue and like stop racing such technical stuff. Um, so I am, I am torn, you know, I think I am extremely 50, 50 right now. Part of me wants to go and, and do like, you know, UTMB Andorra and then like qualify for the main race and, and do it. I think there's probably some sort of motivation in there where no, you know, no American male has ever, has ever won it. Uh, American men traditionally don't do that great there. Uh, and so I think that is, that's, that's probably, that's probably in there a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, you know, another thing is, is like, I mean, who cares if it's like not something I'm, totally passionate about right now or you know i might as well try it because it's like you know a lot of people are clearly very into it so there's got to be something something redeeming about it um yeah i mean jim's now (laughs) dedicated himself so jim's now dedicated himself to the to the chamonix cause and and killian is like he's even probably more mountain oriented than i am like he is like i can't i can't scramble or climb like he can and you know he does utmb you know most years so clearly mm-hmm. he liked it so i mean um i think again yeah, maybe uh it, maybe it does make sense but the other the other half of me is like well you know at some point i do want to do a rock a rock season like i do want to the i would say the three most competitive like round trip mountain running records in the u.s are like uh the grand teton like long's peak in colorado 
Grand Teton of Wyoming and then Mount Whitney in California. And like, I've wrecked Mount Whitney many times and like, I feel confident like the Mount Whitney Mountaineers route record mm-hmm. round trip Longs peak and the grand are both like, uh, would be like, I guess like probably a severe rock climb in the UK is like, it's like low fifth class. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so that's not something I'm really comfortable right now soloing. So I would have to do like a full, like rock scrambling season and then, you know, kind of like train up to those. So, I mean, that's something I'm kind of considering doing, uh, for next, next summer. So, so again, kind of change, change tack and, um, change your training for that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it would, it, it would, it would end up looking a very, very similar, but I would have to do some, at least, you know, some, like probably what the way I'd probably do it is like some harder roped rock climbing and then kind of like work backwards to being comfortable scrambling versus like just like doing harder and harder scrambling. I, I used to rock climb back in 2020. I rock climbed a fair bit, but um, mm-hmm. I just became very concerned. I was going to, you know, break my ankles and like a leader fall or something and throw in my, my season. But I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm, I'm okay, like taking that risk because I do want to like, you know, start looking at some of these projects because the problem is in the U S is um, a lot of the routes that are, a lot of the fastest lines up like the big mountains out west a lot of times they'll have like the best lines will have some fifth class on them so i mean it's the same as like you know there was fifth class there's you know broad stand uh on the bob so uh, it's like the same deal yeah. so, so you don't fancy coming back for some more uk bogs then next year oh well i think i think you know i was talking to uh billy bland about you know possibly doing like borrowdale and wasdale mm-hmm. um you know, I was talking about doing Lakeland's 24 hour record. I think I don't, you know, I was kind of thinking about doing that next year. I mean, I don't know who knows. Um, I'm thinking maybe I'll save that and do that sometime down the road. I mean, what I found was like towards the end of ski season, like I spent so much time in the high Sierra, like, you know, living entirely above like 8,000 feet and skiing you know up to fourteen thousand feet like eventually i I got sick of the big mountains Mm -hmm. and i've kind of gotten to the point where i'm kind of like sick of um you know like the lower stuff that you guys have in the uk or that we have in the northeast us and i'm kind of ready to go back to the big mountains and so who knows maybe by the spring i'll be like ready to leave the big mountains again (laughs) um and do something else so i mean they're both they're both good like this is fun because you know, it's just easy to kind of like go out and like, you know, like the trods are really accessible and like all the running is very accessible and it's like low stress, but it doesn't quite have the same like wild, you know, kind of adventure feeling that the Alpine stuff does in the US out west. So yeah, your your definition of low stress might be (laughs) a little different to the rest of the population, but yeah, I I hear you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, maybe, 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 yeah. Okay, I have two two final quick questions for you because I know you've got another another call to go to as well. So first oh. of all, I I'm personally like interested in what was on that Spotify playlist that <laughs> that oh, got you I'll through the box. I'll send you the link. Yeah, it's called it's called Tranter. It's my Tranter playlist. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Oh, awesome! Would love that. Um, and lastly, yeah. what does joy mean to you? Oof. What does joy mean to me? It's a toughie. It's a toughie to finish. Um, I mean, I've had a number of moments where I, I think it's just like, it's kind of like pure 
uh, it's like very like yeah. I think like moments of like pure enjoyment where like time you kind of like forget about time or like you know the activity like having like a, a beginning or an end. Like um, I know like a lot of times I'll be like doing something. Oh, like I remember when I used to be in Virginia and I used to have to drive like four hours to go run on trails every single weekend. And I would drive from Eastern Virginia on the coast to the mountains in the West. And, uh, every time I would go out and I'd run and I'd, I'd run all the way out there and I'd be like, I'd be like, all right, like, is this supposed to be fun? Cause like, I'm not really enjoying myself right now. Like a lot of times, <laughs> like I'll do things that are like supposed to be fun. And I'll be like wondering like, okay, um, am I like, am I enjoying this as much as like, I've really, you know, invested in this, mm-hmm. but, uh, I know like, uh, running, there are times like running downhill, but like, honestly, I know it's a running podcast, but like, especially like skiing on a day where it's just all the conditions are perfect and like everything works out and it's like, wow, like, yeah, I, so, so yeah, I do get it running too. Like, like skiing, I get it like descending sometimes. And it's like, wow, this is like, you know, this is just amazing. Like yeah. this is, this is, this is yeah, quite fun. And then running, like I find it's like, you know, you'll come out of a climb and you'll like get to a summit and, uh, you know, they'll, there's just like, I always love when you get to a summit and there's like, you know, some birds kind of like, you know, kind of orbiting around the summit. <laughs> and it's just like kind of a moment of like, kind of like bliss. Uh, that's like really nice. So I don't know if that's the same, but, um, Yeah. No, that's that's amazing. That kind of feeling of sort of weightlessness in a way in both yeah, yeah. in both cases. Oh, thank you so yeah. much. I have enjoyed this conversation so much. And like yeah, there's just great. so many other things that I could ask that include loads of geeky stuff about um, <laughs> that dial into kind of like the, the experience on both the Bob and, and Trencher and stuff and everything that you do. Yeah, yeah. Um but you are obviously an in- incredibly talented individual and I, I'm so excited to see yeah. what happens next. But also, you know, in- enjoy the aftermath of, <laughs> oh, <thank laughs> of bathing you, in you. your yeah, accomplishment yeah, yeah. as well. I sometimes hate asking those kind of like, what are you going to do next questions? <laughs> because it sort of detracts from um, from uh, from what you've just done. But I, I can, I sort of get that you're also someone who is not someone just to sit still afterwards. So. <laughs> yeah yeah that's really true yeah today was my first run since uh since the bob i just went up like skid at lower man just right out of keswick and it was, it was good yeah i got i got i was pretty tired towards the end of it but it was good yeah. <laughs> goodness me still putting one foot in front of the other um and if people want to want to find you or what are your kind of social media handles uh it's just my name jack kenzel um and uh yeah on on strava or on strava and instagram are like the only two i use um and you coach so. as well don't you do you coach yeah i coach uh i coach for uh, a us-based company based in the northwest united states called uphill athlete yeah i coach for them so. and they they have a a good podcast as well don't they uphill athlete they do yeah they do. yeah 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 hosted by one of the uh, founders of the company scott johnson he's, he's a great guy yeah yeah it's awesome Brilliant. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jack, and and good luck with everything. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. I'm so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance, and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. 
I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.